This is Elizabeth, dietitian and intuitive eating coach. Right now, you're being bombarded with an onslaught of toxic diet culture. The beach body messaging is mounting and unfortunately about to reach a fever pitch. You can feel your body anxiety and shame already increasing. And yet, you've tried all the diets. You've counted calories, you've restricted, you've fasted, and you're completely exhausted from dieting and feeling like a failure. You're frustrated and overwhelmed trying to figure out what you're supposed to eat or how on earth you can feel more at home in your own skin. You're ready to feel confident and at peace with food in your body. You're ready for a different kind of summer fueled with nourishing self-love. I've just opened the doors to a six-week intuitive eating group coaching experience that I'm calling Nourish and Flourish, a summer food and body reset, and you're invited. Together, we're ditching toxic diet culture, embracing intuitive eating, and transforming how you approach caring for your body and well-being. We're charting your new course towards lasting food and body peace. It's time to stop dieting and start thriving. To learn more, go to elizabethharrisnutrition.com slash nourish-flourish. Best part is, when you join before May 1st, you can redeem early bird savings of 20% with the code EARLYBIRDSUMMER. All the details are in the show notes, and I cannot wait to see you inside this awesome program. Welcome to Wellness Rebranded. We know there's so much conflicting health and fitness advice out there, and you're tired of the senseless and toxic diet culture noise. You're ready to tune into your body, feel empowered around food, and focus on your true health and well-being. Welcome to the Wellness Rebranded podcast. We're the healing trio of your health and wellness anti-diet dreams. I'm Tara, personal trainer. I'm Elizabeth, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And I'm Maura, licensed clinical social worker. Together, we're pushing back on diet culture, hustle culture, and toxic positivity to help you practice genuine health-promoting self-care. So grab your water bottle, forget the rules, and let's start rebranding your wellness journey. Welcome back to another episode of Wellness Rebranded. This is Elizabeth, and this week we are chatting about how to find a good therapist, right, Maura? Yeah. Yes, that is a question I get asked all the time by, like, my friends, my family. Like, how do I find a good one? Yeah, where do you start? And what do you look for? What don't you look for? Yeah, like, what are some maybe flags? And how do you know if you need one? How do you know if you need one is a great question. (laughs) I'm laughing because I love that question because I've been asking myself that lately. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think I need one, but I don't know anything about this or where to start. So I'm very intrigued about this episode. Honestly, I think if you're asking yourself that question, it might not hurt to talk to somebody to just kind of see. And this is like for everybody, but also to Turk. Yes, thank you. Mm Directly. There's like kind of this balance that I'm trying to find here, because while on the one hand, I think therapy can be really helpful for everybody. I say that all the time. I think every good therapist has a therapist also. I've often wondered why we don't have a twice a year appointment with therapists, just as like we do with the dentist or, yeah. you know, it's your OBGYN or whatever. Like, why do we not just have like a mental check-in? Yeah, yeah. such a good point. I think this could be a whole discussion on the American healthcare system and how yeah. it is very <laughs> reactionary. Oh, yikes. Because I think that is, we have been, I think, trying to implement that in some places. Like some primary care offices have a mental health therapist that works there. So I think that's been like, it's tried, but it's also really difficult with the setup of our system. 
Well, I wonder also if it's just the trajectory of mental health, right? Because it used to be, I mean, I know when I was a kid, nobody talked about mental health. Yeah. It was very taboo. Super and, shameful. Right. Yeah. With a lot of shame. And clearly we have and are moving far away from that, but maybe we're not totally yet at the other yeah. end of the spectrum. And Elizabeth, that kind of makes me think of that. Like when I'm talking about trying to find this like balance of like, I think everyone would benefit from therapy. And at the same time, when we think about mental health therapy specifically, it's supposed to be treating a diagnosis. Mm. And not everyone has a diagnosis. Sure. Yeah. So it's like, I think most people would benefit from having someone to talk to. So maybe for some people, it might be that they don't meet the criteria for a diagnosis, but like talking with a mental health coach that's maybe trained in therapy could be helpful. Would this be like a life coach type person? Uh, my feelings on like, coaches well, are really complicated this. because it's not a regulated term. It's yeah, anyone totally. can be a coach. They can call themselves a life coach. They can call themselves a mental health coach. Same with nutritionist. Yeah. So it's and that's not to say there aren't great ones out there. Like I've worked with clients who have had a life coach that has had really wonderful success. And a lot of therapists are deciding to leave mental health therapy and go into coaching. Mm-hmm. It feels really trendy right now to be a coach. Yeah, it is a little bit trendy. But I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. Are you, Because you made a clear distinction between mental health therapy and talking to someone and talked about a diagnosis. So what are you actually trying to say? Can you elaborate? Hmm. I think what I'm trying to say is that because of the way our healthcare system is set up, there are a lot of boundaries. And I think those boundaries can be really helpful, but sometimes it can constrict us. And so while therapy and the things that not every therapeutic approach, but many therapeutic approaches. Now I'm getting really into the weeds here. Well, um, maybe I should just ask my question differently. Are yeah. you are you saying that only people who qualify for some sort of diagnostic criteria should see a mental health that is, provider? That is technically the, the case. Yeah, that's technically true. Really? Just like a physical therapist also, like any kind of therapy, you're going for treatment of some sort. Mm. We could also make the case that, like, the vast majority of people do meet the criteria of some (laughs) diagnostic (laughs) label. We all a little bit crazy, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like, honestly, I think we can make a case for almost everyone, which is kind of showing how kind of, like, ridiculous some of these rules are. And that's why it's, like, this weird thing to balance here that I'm trying to do ethically. I feel like I'm learning something right now. I am, too. Yeah. I didn't understand that you needed to really have a diagnosis and be working on something to go to therapy. Mm. I thought it was more like, I need to talk to somebody about this. I need some guidance. Amen. So I think that there are things like EAPs are supposed to, uh, like uh, employee assistance programs. Those are supposed to kind of help with those kind of things that are, I say supposed to because that's not really how they function. Sometimes Can you, is. like, explain me that? I don't know so, about that. No, I'm really getting into the weeds. But this could be <laughs> very educational and helpful for someone who is looking for someone to talk to. Employee assistance program is something that's paid for by an employer to kind of help prevent something, a diagnosis coming up. So this is supposed to be the, what's the opposite of reactionary? Prevent. Thank you. My mind's not working right. Yeah, so that actually brings up a whole other set of questions for me, which... Where does preventive care fit into that? Yeah, exactly. Right. It feels like there is no preventative care with mental health. That is kind of like the gap that's missing, I think. Like, we're supposed to have a diagnosis and a treatment plan, especially, and I will say that this mostly fits with therapists who are using insurance. So if you want to use your insurance, you have to have a diagnosis. Your insurance is not going to reimburse it. And that also means if you are paying out of pocket, but you are being reimbursed by insurance out of network benefits, you have to have a diagnosis. 
that's kind of what is restricting. But you don't necessarily have to have it before you land in the therapist's office, right? They might be the one making the diagnosis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So your first appointment is supposed to be a diagnostic Mm -hmm. session where they're asking you about your life and your presenting symptoms and they're kind of coming to a conclusion. Sometimes it could be preliminary. Like, oh, well, it could be this. It could be this. So we're going to have this preliminary diagnosis here and like meet a few more times before we have that certain diagnosis. Honestly, I think this is probably a helpful thing to talk about, though. So how do you know if you need one is what we were really trying to talk about. And then and then how do we find a good one? Yeah. Yeah. I think that a lot of therapists who are out of network entirely can kind of fill that like gap between Mm -hmm. the what we call normal, which is like, what is that? And diagnosis. And things like EAPs are designed to kind of fill that gap of before you meet the criteria for a diagnosis. And there are other people you can talk to that are trained. A lot of clergy members are trained to clinically trained. Like some of them have like mental health licenses as well. So there are people that you can talk to that aren't maybe a therapist that in that traditional sense. But we have gotten very much into the weeds of like the logistics that I think probably most people don't need to worry about too much. I think if they're noticing themselves struggling in some way, this could be different for anybody. But if you're just like maybe noticing that you're not living the kind of life that you want to be living, I think that tends to be a sign that like maybe I could talk to somebody and see what they think. You know, maybe they say, hey, you're totally fine. Get back out there. I love that you guys are both looking at me for that. (laughs) I mean, that might happen, Tara. (laughs) Cool. Well, that's best case scenario, I guess. Or not, like, oh, this wasn't helpful at all. Yeah. So thinking about the very, very basic, like, how do you actually begin this process? How do you find somebody? Well, I think word of mouth is really helpful. And that's both from professional sources and also from people you know. It's totally okay to get a referral from a friend. They might know a bunch of people because they got a whole list of people. So they might have like several <laughs> several people to send. Um, but talking to your doctors, talking to other, like maybe a massage therapist, talking to other professionals in your life can be helpful along with friends and family. Sometimes you won't be able to see their therapist. It kind of depends. So how do you know like what type of therapist you need? I'll get to that right after I talk about the very basics of like oh, great. just getting names, because a lot of the times that's where like people are like, I don't even know where to start. Mm-hmm. So I think word of mouth can be helpful. Listings like Psychology Today or Therapy Den can be really helpful, especially if you do want to use insurance. They will have like little check boxes to figure out or if you know you want to use a certain modality or if you know you're struggling with trauma, you can look for a trauma therapist specifically. And also Google, that works too. And Tara, this actually kind of gets to like a little bit of what you're talking about. Those kind of things can be really helpful because you can type in, even into Google, some of the things that you're struggling with and you can see what comes up. There might be someone who has a specialty that you haven't even heard of before. Yeah. But you're really re- like resonating with some of the things that they're saying. They might be worth a call just to reach out and see, is this a path I should go down? Interesting. But yeah. So I think those are some good options just to like kind of get started. I guess one flag I have for especially the directories, like the listings, if they have checked off that they're a specialist in everything, that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You guys both had a reaction to that. Elizabeth, I'm curious what if you didn't <laughs> just that it made perfect sense. Uh, I'm thinking of like the professional sites that I'm on as a yeah. dietitian. Yeah. And, like I certainly didn't check all the boxes. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. I, I was wondering if you guys see that in your own yeah. professions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that comes from a good place for the most part. Like, I think the therapists who do that, most therapists are trained as generalists. Sure. So they kind of go out thinking like, oh, yeah, like I can treat this thing. And while I think most generalists, if they are well-trained, 
probably will do an okay job. There are some that actually they can cause more harm with. I'm thinking specifically of OCD because I'm an OCD therapist. Mm -hmm. They can actually kind of make OCD a little bit worse. And the same with eating disorders. If they have those two things checked off along with everything else, I'm like, uh uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. The eating disorders are very specialized. Yeah, and I imagine that's one that you maybe have seen too. Like, so that's definitely a flag. If they have everything checked off, that's a no go. <laughs> so, Terry, you had asked about how do you know, like, if there is, like, should you see a specialist in some way? Yeah. How do you know what kind of therapist you need? Is what I asked. I think you can do some of like your own preliminary, I'll call it research, but I'll put that lightly because I'm not asking you to read like journal articles. Yeah. (laughs) But to kind of give you a sense, my recommendation would always be to see someone who uses evidence-based practices. And you can usually tell that. (laughs) Wait, do people not use evidence-based practice in therapy? Yeah. Yeah, that it does seem like a show. What? Oh my gosh. I think a lot of therapists who are using practices that are meeting the criteria of evidence-based don't always realize that because I think sometimes the trainings can be a little bit manipulative, like for therapists. If someone comes out with a new training and it has very little research to support it, they're going to make that research sound really, really strong, even though it's like a really small end number. Like sometimes that happens. And then there's also not to get again really into the weeds, but research is limited also in that like historically it's been about white men, right? Like historically, it doesn't apply to everybody. All of our research is like that. that Yes. Recently. Yeah. 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 So there are reasons why you might try something that is a little bit not that evidence based. But my recommendation would always be to start there. And if the thing that you're doing, like the evidence based approach that you're using isn't working, then maybe we can try some of these other things instead. One thing that's coming to mind right now is brain spotting. That is one that has super little research on but it's becoming more popular and there's it's I think okay as long as it's not used as like the first line. And I think a lot of the times it is being used as the first line of treatment. And that's kind of worrisome to me. I don't know what it is, but maybe I shouldn't have. I feel like I've heard of this, but I don't it's, know what it is either. I don't know enough about it to really speak on it. So I don't want to say anything that's like uneducated or misinformed. Okay. But I can say that there is very little research to support it at this point. Maybe in the future we will have mm-hmm. So you've decided that you're going to get a therapist. You've done a little bit of research. What questions do you recommend asking to narrow down once you're actually speaking to them? Yes. Well, I think I love that you even said what questions, because I think sometimes there's this temptation of like, I'm just going to get it over with. I'm going to schedule the appointment and then I'm just going to show up. And I'm speaking from experience because that's the kind of person I am. And I don't want to have a phone call. Mm -hmm. I just want to show up. And I highly recommend having the phone call. Some therapists require that. And I think that's always a good sign if they require that phone call, because that's telling me that they're assessing for fit. And if a therapist isn't assessing for fit, that might not be a good fit for you. Yeah. (laughs) Because a therapist who's just going to see everyone is kind of, again, that like checking all the boxes. So my I think Elizabeth and I both do this in our business. Yeah. Like I have like a mandatory consult before we start training. Yeah. And you do too. Same. No way yeah. back with me without actually talking to me first because I want to make sure we're a good fit. Yeah. And that I think I can help you. Right. Yeah. 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 Definitely. So having that phone call first and that phone call is such a great opportunity to just get the like vibe, you know, to yeah. just kind of feel like if it's going to be comfortable, if you're going to feel comfortable talking with them. The therapeutic relationship is so important. I think if you have a good therapeutic relationship, not everyone's going to agree with me on this, but it doesn't always matter what approach you're using as long as you have that supportive, unconditional, positive regard for one another and you feel comfortable sharing with them. There's probably going to be some benefit at least. 
so that's an important part, just kind of feeling it out. I would also ask like what approaches they use. If they kind of get defensive when you ask maybe about like what evidence they have to support the things that they use, the approaches they use, that's maybe a flag. Like if there's defensiveness showing up in the therapist. I would also suggest you talk a little bit about what's going on to see if they are someone who might be able to help you with the thing that you're talking about and kind of asking about some of the outcomes that they have. I think that's something that's like missed is like, well, I'm just going to go to therapy and then it's going to be fine. (laughs) But like actually asking like what has been the outcomes for some of your clients? Yeah, that's such a great point. That is a great question. Yeah. Like at what point do you know that you've like finished? Yeah. It's funny because I usually ask. So in my consult calls with potential clients, I like to ask them when our work together is complete. Like if our work together is successful, what kind of things in your life would be different? And that I ask that same. I do too. It's one of my favorites to ask because it kind of tells me a little bit about what we can work toward. And it does kind of also help me get a sense of like, is this going to be a good fit still? Like, am I going to be able to help you get there? Yeah. So definitely talk about that. And then there's also the logistics like insurance. Unfortunately, again, in the American healthcare system, insurance is a really tricky beast. And if you want to find someone who is a specialist or who is a really good fit for you, there are going to be therapists that take insurance that meet those criteria, but it's going to be limited and there might not be any openings and it's going to be really hard. And I wish therapy was more accessible. That being said, most therapists that I know of that that are out of network from insurance, they have sliding scales. So you can ask about that too. If their fee is not something that you could afford, you can mention that and ask if they provide sliding scale or if maybe they have a recommendation of somebody else who will be. Um, So I know what sliding scale is, but not everyone may. Yeah. So sliding scale, when it's used in that term, it's usually based off of like income or need. But then there's also reduced rate. Like, so I do reduced rate. That's not necessarily based on a scale. It's more like, what can you afford? And I trust them to tell me what they can afford because I trust my clients. Mm -hmm. So that's a nice thing to offer. Yeah. It's something that helps me feel okay with being out of network because that's a struggle for me to kind of remove some accessibility by being out of network. I want to still be able to provide to people who can't afford my full fee. So yeah. And that also is limited, right? If 100% of my clients were reduced rate, I probably wouldn't be able to sustain that. Totally. So that again is going to be limited, but... Better than nothing. Possible. Yeah. And there is also, I'm going to plug this website too. It's called Open Path Collaborative. And all the therapists on there are accepting clients for reduced rate. And I believe they have to also like say that they engage in evidence-based practices, which I think is fantastic. Can you talk really quickly about the difference between a social worker and mm. a psychologist or a yeah. therapist? Yeah. So there are a bunch of different mental health therapists or psychotherapists or mm-hmm. however we want to call it. At a minimum, all therapists in the U.S. and most countries have a master's degree or more. So there are a bunch of different kinds. There are clinical social workers. So that's me. I'm a, I have a master of social work. There are professional counselors. They usually have like a master's in psychology, but there are other ones like master's in counseling. There's also marriage and family therapists, which can also see individuals. So there are several master's levels. And then psychology is typically a PhD. Sometimes school social work or school psychologists can have an a master's level. But typically, a psychologist has a PhD or a PsyD, a doctorate degree, (laughs) I could say. And for all of these, there is internship during the program. So like during the actual degree program, you need to be having actual 
clinical experience with a client in front of you during the degree. And then after graduation, there is, depending on the license in the state, there are a certain number of hours you need to meet in order to get like an advanced independent license. Typically, it's at least two years of practicing before you get that. So for the person who's going to be looking for one, how do they navigate that in Google? Yeah, I think that that's less important, honestly. I know, I mean, I'm a little bit biased towards social workers because (laughs) I am one. And I think really the clinical experience is what matters unless the actual like... Well, I just meant like, okay, so you decided you need a therapist. Yeah. If I just go to Google and type in therapist, are all of those going to come up? Yeah. yeah. All of those okay. will come up. Cool. Yeah. yeah. If you type in psychologist, typically only psychologists will come up. Okay. Um, and that might limit it a little bit more. And I think there are some people who only want to see a psychologist. That's fine. But I would encourage if you're having difficulty finding someone to maybe broaden that a little bit more. I've known some really fantastic psychologists. I've known some kind of crappy ones. And the same with social workers. Yeah, or, or any health Yeah, other kinds. Right. There's like someone like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. But others, I'm like, wow, this person is so smart and fantastic. I wish they were my therapist, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I think that actually is less important than these other things. Like how you feel with them. If they're using evidence, that's the go-to for me. Yeah. And so for the person who's out there like, maybe I need it, but I'm on the fence. What are you saying to them? The person who is a little bit on the fence, I am an exposure therapist. I know I mentioned this a lot. So I'm always like, let's go toward this thing that you're afraid of. But I will say it's hard. It's scary. It's very vulnerable. And that's why I think having that phone call initially can be really helpful. But sometimes we talk it up a lot in our head and we do this like kind of like, all right, I'll do this soon. I'll do it eventually. And the more we think about it, the harder it is to do it. So my recommendation would be just to do it, like book that call, maybe give them a call, leave a message send the email, just take that initial step and kind of see what happens and go from there. And I want to add to that finding a good therapist can kind of be a little bit like dating. Like sometimes you do need to try it out a bit. Mm. And sometimes you don't realize that at first, like you might have a great initial phone call and then you have the first appointment and it's like, "Eh, maybe, I don't know. And so you go to the next one, you're like, I don't like this. It is okay to say, hey, I don't know if we're a good fit. I think that the first few sessions are definitely like a trial period. And even if I've been seeing someone for like six months and they say, like, I don't think we're a good fit, I'm never going to be upset by that. And I think if a therapist is, that's also a good a good <laughs> red, a red flag that like you're making a right decision and <laughs> saying that yeah. I'm not a good fit. Yeah. So seeing too, like how the therapist in general takes feedback, like if, yeah. if an approach isn't working for you and you bring that up and the therapist is like, Digging in. Yeah, that's typically a flag, too. And you can usually suss that out in that initial phone call, like how asking the therapist, like, how do you respond if I uh, if we are doing something and I'm realizing something isn't working for me? Like, what should I do? And you can see what they say. My hope would be that most of them would say, I want you to tell me because I want to do what's working for you. And if you're not a good fit, I want to help you find someone who is. Those are all good green flags. (laughs) If they don't say that kind of thing, red flag. You can try it out if you want to, but. Be, yeah. Yeah. Proceed with caution. Proceed yeah. with caution. <laughs> yeah. Did well, I that was really helpful. Yeah. I hope. Do you have any more clarity? I do. Something you said that makes me a little bit nervous to do this would be like, oh, so I got my initial consult and then I did a few sessions with this new therapist and I realized we're not a good fit. Now I feel like because my insurance won't cover anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, now I have to like waste all that money and go try it on somebody new. 
really, it's like a great example of how our healthcare system fails us. But yes. that's kind of like what my reaction was yeah. when I heard you like try out dating different therapists. I was kind of like, wow, that sounds like it's going to be real expensive. Yeah, Yikes. I can definitely see that. I'm thinking of two things. Like one, I'm thinking, oh, this sounds like such a cop out, but I don't think it's a waste because you have now learned something. Uh, that's learned... what I was thinking. Is it? No, really it's never a waste. I'm sure you're going to learn something from that experience. Yes. Yeah. At a minimum, you've learned what style or what I don't like. work for you. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you found that you liked kind of the things that they were saying, but the way they were saying you didn't like. So like maybe you even know like, oh, okay, act, acceptance and commitment therapy. Shout out to what I do. So again, bias. Oh, act. I really like the things that they were saying, but I didn't like how I felt in the room. So maybe I want to yeah. find a different act therapist. Or maybe you found like, I hated that. <laughs> I'm actually laughing like at this because that's how I feel about my esthetician. Yeah. She does amazing work, but I don't like her vibe at all. Yes. <laughs> like, I don't like being around her, but I love the finished product. <laughs> Which is totally so fine for a struggle. Maybe don't forward her this episode. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, that would be wild. She's not <laughs> a former esthetician. It was an old one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would be like super surprised if she listens. <laughs> this, but. So that's my first kind of, I feel a little bit like a cop-out answer, but it's true also is that sure. I truly, I don't think it was a waste, even though it might feel that way. Yeah. Um, and then I would also say too that I think it's way more likely that you'll notice it early on that that's not a good vibe or it's not a good fit. And actually, I want to talk in another episode about what to do if you find yourself kind of like, okay, this was helpful, but now it's not so helpful, but there's still things I'm working, I want to work on. Mm -hmm. And so like, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah. Um, but honestly, my guess is you'll probably see that early on that like, you're not a good fit. Okay. So super helpful, Maura. I'm sure that there are people listening here who might want to reach out to you. Are you accepting yes. new clients right now? I am not currently accepting new clients. No. Okay. Do you have a wait list? Um, I don't, you know, I don't do a wait list because I worry that people might withhold them working. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to delay anybody from yeah. seeing someone who might be able to help. That them. makes sense. Yeah. But some therapists do. Okay. Which is totally fine. Yeah. All righty. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you enjoy this and other wellness rebranded episodes, we would be so super duper grateful if you would go leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us spread the whole health message, the anti-diet culture message. And also it just makes us happy to see what you guys have to say. Yes. So thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Wellness Rebranded. If you found this helpful, please take a moment to leave us a review and share it with your friends. If you'd like to learn more about me, Mora, you can find me at my website, moratunny.com. If you want to connect with Tara, find her on Instagram at Tara De Leon Fitness. To connect with Elizabeth, visit her at elizabeththarisnutrition.com. And while you're there, follow the link to join her health and healing with intuitive eating community on Facebook.